97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. Our dispo. Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we've got Max and Katie Vollmer with Vollmer Real Estate Investments, and they flew in from Tampa, Florida to talk about how they went from two broke college students to multi-million dollar real estate businesses. Now, I am on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you will become one. And this show is brought to you by our sister company, Investor Lift. Get access to over 2 million cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in Disruptors to get 10% off. And if you get value today, please tag it from below. Share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And this is a live show. So please ask your questions for Max and Katie to answer. You ready? You're ready. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, oh, Steve. My, my pleasure. So uh, first question is, what was life like right before you got into real estate? Stressful. Life was normal. It was <laughs> slow. Um, we didn't have much going on besides school and occasional family time during, you know, spring break and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But our day-to-day -day was so basic. It was the same routine every single day, and it was, quite frankly, boring. So, Yeah. I mean, pretty much just a, a college lifestyle, right? I mean, I went to, we both went to school. We both trained. I was doing track and field. So it was a mix between, you know, going to practice and, and going to classes, you know, studying and all those kind of things. Um, and then eventually, yeah, we had to obviously turn around. But I think it was, it was definitely not the typical lifestyle because from the athlete background, right? So there was a lot of stuff going on, competitions going on, international meets, competing for Germany. So there was always, you know, that kind of pressure. Um, but clearly, when we, when we started going into real estate and starting that business, it it added more complexity to the day-to-day -day tasks. Sure. <laughs> so you guys are both in college. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're, you're also competing? I was. Um, I went to a community college mm -hmm. uh, about 10 minutes from where Max was. And mm -hmm. so my athletic... Life wasn't as crazy as his. A D1 athlete um, was much more involved and, mm. and busy than mine. I was a, What were you doing? Volleyball. Volleyball? Yeah, community college. Okay. Um, so, so you're playing volleyball. Yeah. Right? So you're com competing. You got the sport component. Yeah. You got the uh, school component. Mm -hmm. And then you guys met in college. Mm -hmm. Yep. Sophomore okay. year. So was it real estate and you guys connected or you guys connected and said, hey, we should do real estate together? No, we, we actually met at our first, it was my first college party, right? I came from Germany, 
And I was here for what? Yeah, yeah. Got it. <laughs> I was My here last for six college months. party. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I saw the movies about the U.S. college parties. I was like, oh, it's gonna be amazing. And so eventually, I, I obviously I was like always 100% committed to sports. So I never like drink alcohol, no drugs, nothing. I was always 100% athlete. So I never actually went to any parties. But that weekend was different because I had some issues on my shin from just overtraining. So that week I did not go to the competition I was supposed to go to. So I was basically at home with some of my teammates. And they're like, hey, you know what? There's like an athlete party. Some of the baseball guys are throwing something local. It's going to be relaxed, nothing crazy. Just go out there. And I was like, you know what? I'm out there. I'm not competing. Might as well get my, you know, my, my, head, my head clear. And uh, so I went there, first college party, met her there, last college party. And everything after this history. So real estate did not bring us together for sure. Not we had absolutely no idea about real estate at all, even when we started that business. You know, we kind of like learned swimming while being in the ocean. That's what I always tell people. Um, because we had no time, right? We had no money and no background, no comfort. So we had to like learn it while doing it. There was no time to go in and educate yourself for five, six months. Um, which is a, it's a blessing and a curse in both ways. But um. We met and it was for both of us, it was like an instant, you know, we saw each other and like she knew and I knew and it was like. Actually, I was with a group of girls and they were all talking about how cute he was. And I was like, yeah, he's, he's pretty damn cute. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually thought he was out of my league. So I was like, eh, I'm going to pass, you know, I'm not going to let myself down tonight. Right. Um, but then a girl I was with, she was like, Katie, can you go talk to him and let him know I think he's cute for me? And I was like, oh. Sure. Had a couple shots in me, so I was, like, feeling a little ballsy. Uh, so I went up to him, and I was like, hey, my girl thinks you're super cute. Um, you should go talk to her. She's beautiful. And then he actually said he wanted to talk to me, and I completely forgot my mission. And <laughs> we ended up, uh, you know, being together. So, awesome. Yeah. So at which point, then, uh, did you guys decide to take the leap of faith to get into real estate? So that's a good good story. So when I came, obviously, as an international student, uh, this is an F1 student visa, so you're actually not allowed to work. Right? So the only reason was for me basically being a competitive student athlete and you don't waste your time going to find a job. So that's kind of like what the visa says, right? Mm-hmm. So we're both living in Oregon. And when COVID hit, um, Oregon was one of the states that took it extremely serious, you know, as it was shut down. We're both in school. She had a side job working as a server. And then eventually when COVID hit, she wasn't able to work anymore. Restaurants are shut down. I mean, everything was absolutely frozen and nobody really knew what was going on, right? And we're not coming from any financial background where our parents just sent us money to support us. And it was, you know, it was tough. They were in the same boat. They had no idea what was going on. Um, and then eventually your expenses stay the same. You know, rent doesn't go down. You know, food doesn't go down. But just because we had no money coming in, um, there was, it was tough times. So eventually our bank account, you know, declined every single month. And um, it was really stressful. It was super stressful. I mean, every night you're like, what are we going to do? Like, we don't have money right now to pay for expenses next In month. In fact, we were even thinking about having to move back to Alaska. That's where my family's from. And even considering moving to Germany because we were like, yeah. ultimately, if shit hits the fan, we need to move back with our parents. <laughs> and I think that's what a lot of kids our age actually did during COVID is they moved back with their families. Um, so for us, it was it was really, really hard. And um you know, with us being freshly together, I couldn't really be like, hey, come move to my parents' house with me. Like, I'm not sure how my parents would really take that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we, we got married then in August, doing the whole COVID craziness and, you know, tried to like build a life together, be responsible. And then, you know, being in this position where absolutely everything is against you mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. we're losing our money. So like from August until December, we're just like eating all our savings. 
in trying to do something. I mean, we literally like tried everything, like, you know, ask people to cut their grass, whatever it is, like, hey, give us something to just survive by right? talking to coaches. But nobody really knew what was going on. Nobody had like a crystal ball, of, like, you know, just be, be, be relaxed. So then January, we had $76 in our bank. It was the absolute low point. And um, $76 in your bank account. $76 yeah. in our bank. And no, you know, ex expected revenue coming in or anything like that. And it was January 7th, so we had what, not even 30 days to make the next rent payment. Luckily, we had enough groceries for that, you know, couple of weeks so I had to, to sustain. But so we were sitting there and we, we always meditated. Like we always, from, from sports, we always had, you know, train your, train your mind and your body will follow. So we always had that um, understanding of, you know, if you set yourself in the right emotional and, and spiritual setting, you will be successful, right? So we consistently were feeding into that because it was the only thing we really had was staying consistent with our meditation, visualizing everything is going to be good, not feeding into those negative emotions. So we were sitting there meditating and we're like, okay, we got to do something, right? And like, for me, it came in my head. I was, I was always interested in real estate. I was always interested in investing, but I had the false um, expectation that, you know, you have to work for 20 years, make money, and then eventually buy your first rental. That was like right. the idea of real estate I had back in the days. Yeah, and They're I- Very had, common. Very common, yeah. Understanding, go ahead. Yeah, and I was going to say, I actually thought the only kind of real estate, and this is embarrassing to say, was to just be a realtor. Mm -hmm. So I actually thought I was going to be a realtor. Um, you know, if my degree didn't work out, this or that, I was like, oh, I'll just get into real estate, thinking like real estate is only being a realtor. So- um, I kind of had that in the back of my head yeah. and I always had interest in it. Um, but once Max did some more digging online, we actually found that there's much, much more yeah. to real estate. Well, the great irony, because we had Mark De La Torre on the show last week, was that realtors don't invest in real estate either, yeah. right? So <laughs> the idea to become a realtor, again, a common, uh, I don't know, it's like an urban legend or whatever you want to call it, like mm -hmm. a myth, right? Is that uh, you need a lot of money to get in real estate. Not true. You need some money, but you don't need a lot of money, yeah. right? Or you need to become a realtor to get started, and that's not true either. Yeah. And so what was it then? Because you had $76, you're down literally at the bottom of the barrel. What did you do exactly then to turn your, you know, your fortunes around? I mean, we knew we had no time, right? That's what I mentioned at the beginning. We had no time to comfortably sit back down and read books and educate and get a license and talk to people. For us, it was like, okay, let's, you know, start looking up what is real estate all about. You know, one of the first the things, actually, quite frankly, was one of your podcasts. You know, we came across Steve Chang's podcast, you know, listened to some of the stuff, got exposed to what are people doing, wholesaling, you know, all these things that you guys talk in those podcasts. So open up to different perspectives of what real estate is all about. So we did some digging in, in by watching YouTube videos and just going out and reading podcasts, Bigger Pocket, et cetera. And after five, six days of research, you're like, okay, I mean, there's an opportunity to, you know, do wholesales. I kind of understand the basic concept of it. Um, let's just go and start doing it, you know, learn while doing it. So she had a $3,000 credit card at that point in time. So we maxed it out, bought, you know, a list, a mailer, sent out our direct mailing, and we're just waiting for calls. And eventually got, you know, it was a good timing. So when we actually started, and it was another thing I need to mention. So when we started, we talked to some local real estate um, agents of like, hey, what's going on in the market right now? Like, how do you see the market moving? Because we had no background experience about real estate at all. So a lot of people mentioned at that point in time that housing inventory was short, right? It was interest rates were low. Everyone was buying. Everyone was moving out of the big cities into the suburban areas. And we were in a suburban area. So housing houses were gone like immediately, mm -hmm. 50,000 over asking. So Clearly, it was maybe not the perfect time for us to go into like, I guess, find houses and sell them. But everyone was mentioning people are buying land right now to develop because there's not enough housing in those suburban areas. So when we hear that, 
you hear it like from two different people. We're like, okay, well, what is this all about the land stuff? So eventually we looked into like the land wholesaling and started our first direct mailing for suburban infillots. And then basically um, got an infillot on a contract, sold it to an, an end buyer. But the time was perfect, right? In a way, COVID started happening. Everyone was in the same kind of uncomfortable environment. So there was a lot of pushback on emotional side for people to liquidate assets like land, right? Most people don't understand the value of it. So like, you know what? I have this $50,000 land sitting here. I just lost my job because, you know, my business shut down. Might as well sell it now and move on with my life. So we had a lot of, we had a lot of people reach out. We had our first, you know, small $3,000 mailing campaign. We had a good amount of people call. And then our first deal um, was super funny. We had no idea how to even value the land. It was a, it was an oceanfront property. Close to oceanfront, I would say it was a block <laughs> block away from the ocean. The owner called us. He was like, you know, in a perfect world, I take twenty five thousand, walk away with it. Now later on, we realized the land was worth ninety to hundred thousand. We had no idea, so we got it for twenty five. We're like, what should we list it for? <laughs> we're like, let's just do right. fifty. Yeah, we like let's do fifty. And like, we were thinking that was way too much. Yeah. Actually, at the time, <laughs> we threw that number out. Like twenty five thousand would be absolutely amazing making this. And it took whatever, like two days, and the phone was ringing. We had right. so many people that were interested in buying it, and yeah. we were thinking, like, okay, so if we're getting all <laughs> these people interested in buying land for this one property, we need to acquire some more land. Um, but it was funny because we were in our one bedroom apartment, and Max was, we finally found someone that wanted to buy the deal. So Max was on his phone, you know, scrolling through his emails, like updating it every single five minutes, saying, like, hey, did the, the funds get transferred to this and that because we were like thinking as soon as this closes this is going to be our first deal it was like this amazing moment finally um we got confirmation that the lady sent the funds over and what was it twenty five thousand dollars yeah and from 75 dollars we were like what the hell like is, I, is this real like mm-hmm. we had no yeah, idea what was weird. actually going on it's just a number on your bank account right? and this was all within a month that was within Less than was, three weeks, yeah. so right around when, when the next month, uh, you know, statement hit and we had to pay our bill. So we took that money, paid our expenses for the upcoming months, and then we reinvested absolutely everything else. So we yeah. got the deal on our contract. We found a buyer and closed it all within a month. That's so, incredible. Yeah. So um, I guess the first question I should ask is, how did it feel, right? Because you guys went from like, I hope this works. And... Usually it's like, I have a job, I have this other option, you know, but let's try this and see if this is a real thing or not, make sure it's not a scam. You guys, basically, if this didn't work, it didn't sound like you guys had a whole bunch of other options. <gasps> yeah. We'd be homeless if and it I think, didn't work. You know, this is also like the, the thing that really pushed us. It's not having a plan B. Yeah. But if you don't have a plan B, there's no choice. You got to mm-hmm. stick to plan A. You got to work hard. You got to commit to it. You know, if life hits you in the face, you got to stand up because there's no plan B. Right. And I think a lot of times people fail because they have a comfortable income right and then they're like you know what it gets so stressful i just go back to my job i don't like the uncomfortable feeling of being an entrepreneur and we like we have no choice like we we worked you know went went, woke up went to training went to school and then we worked until midnight we slept an average of four four and a half hours the first two three months because there was we had so much to do because we had to educate us close leads you know negotiate leads continue the business but also educating on the same side and still doing school homework Learning for, for so what was that feeling though when you guys like when it's like okay this is it we was grief. It was a feeling that you can't really describe. You know, like it was so incredible and emotional that I just I really can't put it into words. I think like, first and foremost it was like a relief, a big yeah. thank you because you know we're really spiritual too and we understand there 
we've been putting a lot of energy towards something higher to guide us. Like, mm -hmm. you know, please help us getting through this. And just having this, it's like, okay, some something is there, something is listening, and uh, clearly, like, it's protecting us. It was like a feeling of protection and a massive relief. Um, but it never really felt like It real. never really felt real. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, never, it never felt real until... And even, like, after 40 flips, I still felt like, when is this going to end? I was like, you know, this might be my last one. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I want to hit on something you guys did though, right? Like you guys went through and you did research on your community, right? Because you guys are in Oregon, yeah. right? Is it Portland or? Eugene, Eugene Oregon. Eugene, Eugene Oregon, yeah. yeah. So in Eugene, you guys asked around to do market research, mm -hmm. very short period of time. And you picked up that there's no shortage. And from there, he's like, oh, if they need more land, let's go target land. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a big thing, right? Like you found a need and then you fulfilled it. That's not usually how it goes, right? Yep. Usually how it goes is, you know, we see on our channel, on a lot of these other channels, like, hey, what list should I pull? Right, mm -hmm. who should I call? Right, right. But you guys went and did the research, it's like, okay, what does the market need? How can I go source that need? So I, I think that's no, it, it huge. Sounds, it sounds a lot smarter now, looking back at it, it's right. <laughs> I don't think there was, you know, that intention of like, oh, there's a need, it was more like, we had no idea what to do and we just kind of got curious mm -hmm. and um but yeah of course i mean you're right you know looking back at it now we kind of did the right thing unintentionally <laughs> yeah i feel like we talked to a lot of brokers um commercial space and residential and it was almost heartbreaking talking to them because a lot of them weren't very open to the idea of these young kids making a bunch of money it was mm -hmm. like Oh yeah, you can get into commercial, but it'll take you ten years, like mm -hmm. that kind of mindset. Um, so that was a little discouraging, um, and that was just local people we talked to. Um, but as we did more of our research, um, we actually signed up for a coaching program. Um, it was Jack Bosch's land program. Mm -hmm. um, that land program taught us um, how to initially start into the land yeah. space, um, and with that moving forward, I mean we we like skipped over so many steps. We were like ready to go, 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 make more money, get more properties under contract. And we did a lot of sourcing ourselves. We did a lot of initial research that wasn't given to us. And we talked to a lot of different people and, and found what really worked for us. But in the beginning, it's all about networks. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, with the brokers we talked to, it was really hard because they didn't give us much insights, but then you'd talk to another person and give you everything. Right. So if you, if you meet someone and they don't help you, you know, move yeah. on to the next person. Your network is your net worth. I always say that to every one of our students. Um, and if they're getting new into real estate, it's always like, how do we get started? Yeah. Well, network. Yeah. Like net, real estate is all about people. Anything, you know, buying properties, selling properties, building relationships is all about the people. And, and the network is the most important thing, right? So that's... Absolutely. That's probably, uh, yeah. And you're talking about Jack Bosch, right? So like, talking about network, right? Like, we got to invest in a bank together because... Oh, yeah. I know, yeah, I know yeah, Jack, yeah. right? So did you go to Jack because he was a land guy or did you go with Jack because he's German? Because he's German. It was kind of like... <laughs> no, I mean, really, it's because like, the thing is coming from Europe, people, and especially in Germany, they're so introverted in a way. Nobody's like open-mindedly sharing the resources, right? And if so, then there's always a scam behind it. Like mm -hmm. if, if you see like people like sign up today and whatever, there's always a scam. Like nobody does it. In the U.S., obviously, it's a whole different story. So for me, coming from overseas, I was like, you know, all these coaching programs are full of shit. Sorry about the language, but I was like, you know, they're all just like trying to sell something and they give you nothing. And then um, obviously I was super skeptical, but the only reason why I didn't trust Jack 
and actually I reached out to Jack because it was a referral from a referral from a referral. And the main reason was oh, like yeah. he was the first person actually that had that was believed that did what we tried to accomplish and then had the same mindset. That was the most important thing. Everyone else was stuck in their mindset and he was an entrepreneur by heart. So he had the same mindset. So talking to him was super refreshing. And then obviously when, he, when I knew he was born and like 45 minutes away from where I was born He's and like, he came sold. here, sold. yeah, he came here as a student, had the same similar story. I was like, okay, you know, what, what is it that I have to do to, yeah. you know, make it from A to B and B to C. So for him, it was, it was just like, he was like the first rock in the ocean we could hold on to, uh, mainly of like, hey, it's doable. Like he's yeah. accomplished it. You know, our parents, our family, friends, nobody believed in us. That it was no, like, initial support of, like, hey, we believe in you. Like, you know, go full in, in the real estate with no money while in college. It wasn't like that. You know, people, all our parents were, like, not absolutely, not, not at all behind us at the beginning. Kind of protective, you know? Yeah, For and sure. then, you know, he was the first guy who was, like, I've done it, you know, in his story. And I was, like, okay, there's, there's hope. You know, let's do it. Let's get into it. I was, like, this. are you sure we should do this coaching program just because he's German? He's, like, <laughs> I trust him, Kate. Like, yeah. we got to get into it. <laughs> happen when you guys did not close that first deal right that 25k near the ocean we would have know. kept trying actually we would have definitely kept trying but i, I mean know as far as like financially we'd be screwed um i think we would find a way to acquire more money to put into it because we have a different mindset um we don't give up and i think that's just because of our athletic side is that we have this determination and especially max i mean if he hasn't already, he will blow up your phone and he'll keep, he'll keep texting you until he gets an answer. Yeah, I know. Like everybody should know that by now, right? Like yeah. that's just how he that's how he works. And so um, he kind of rubbed off on me, and I'm starting to be like the same. So yeah. um, determination, we we probably would have kept trying. Yeah, absolutely. So as your business began to you know grow, like what were some of the struggles you faced? You know, going from your first day to your even at forty didn't even feel real. What was it like, you know, in your first 40 deals or the struggles? I think the struggles was our time. Yeah. Because it, it was just time. us. Sure. It was time. us for a whole year, I think, right? And then we got our first. Yeah, I mean, like, you didn't really know how to how to scale. Like, mm -hmm. we, we were in, you know, doing sales, in a, in a way, like, getting free yeah. properties on contract and selling them, but we had no business. Like, we were, we were working on or in real estate, but not on our business. Right, there was no business, there was no process, there was no system, there was nothing. It was just you know us spreadsheets, uh, sticky notes, and you know a lot of memory. Um, but eventually, then the, the hurdle was going from there to scaling. I mean, I so think that was the biggest. What challenge. does that mean, though? Like you didn't have like you struggled with time. Can you give me an example of what it meant to say like you struggled with the, the time? time was just like he we woke up. I mean, he woke up. He had practiced how many times a day? Two or three. Two or three times. Yeah. And then we had class. And then we had dinner, and then we needed some time to sleep, right? But we were spending like sixteen-hour days working, and after you do that a couple times, you get really burnt out. Mm -hmm. And so our time—it was just really hard to manage our time because we were stuck with obligations like schoolwork, mm -hmm. school projects. I mean, eventually it turned out to be our superpower. Now I think there's nobody who can outwork us from a time efficiency perspective because we had no time. And you know, with the things we've accomplished in two years, going from wholesaling land to flipping houses to buying multifamilies to acquiring you know, over 200 doors, like these are you know 10 years of increments that we just collapsed in two years because we used our time so efficiently. And um, the last uh, CG we went to, the, the first presentation was about the 80 20, the time efficiency, right? And for me, that was like perfect. 
exactly where we're living is like these blocks, like two hours a day, no phone, no distraction, absolutely nothing. One task, you're focusing on it, right? You have to use your time more efficiently. And so eventually, you know, we learned of, you know, every time we fall back, we write down exactly in five, at that point in time, it was like five minute increments. Like, what are we going to do? Like, when are we going to be in class, walking back from class, listening to a podcast? Like, there was no minute wasted because we had no time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and then eventually, like this, you know, you do it for a couple of months, it's a habit. Now it's an absolute habit. Like, our days are always scheduled out to like a perfect balance in a way. And it allows us to really have these deep, focused times of no inter interruption and just getting the work done and you know getting tied up by the 80 percent is a pure focus on the 20 percent that is needed to to get to the next level uh one question i get a lot so i want to hear your, your response to this is i get people messaging me from time to time like i have an accent and it's stopping me from getting sales yeah no i would like to get your perspective and experience on this <laughs> absolutely not i think um i've had so many conversations that you know, oh. turned out different. He's like, that's an interesting accent. Where are you from? I'm like, I'm from Germany. And then all of a sudden and you talk about... they all have something to do with Germany. Yeah. They all are from there. They have a cousin there, a sister, brother. They lived there for part of their lives. Like, we've closed more deals actually because of his accent. Now, I will it's say... A, it's a pattern interruption. Yeah. Right? If all these wholesalers call and all of a sudden it's a whole different accent, it's like... Wait a second, you, you sound different. What's behind that? Mm -hmm. And then people ask and you have a conversation so they get connected on a more human level, like, oh, you're from Germany, right? Um, what I think is, you know, obviously, it's about the reputation, right? You can have an accent, but if you are actually, if you stand up to it and you sound like you know what you're doing, then it doesn't matter, yeah. right? It's just like most of the time people are used to like people from the Philippines calling. They don't really know what they're doing. They're having some kind of script and it sounds really the same all the time. And this is the stereotype, but if, somebody else calls and they're, you know, stepping up to that game and they know what they're doing. And this is it's almost like interest, you know, people like, like to know more about it. Mm -hmm. um, and I always felt uncomfortable at the beginning. I talked to her too you about did. that. I used to I be never the... wanted to be on the phone. I was like, yeah. you should just call. They're going to think of some German scheme. Or... <laughs> like the phone would be ringing, like, take it, take it. And I'd be like, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't want to. But, yeah, but he he kills it on the phone. Max is really good about that, and it's it is because he knows what he's talking about. And so you're right. Like if you have an accent, I would say don't be afraid of it. I would yeah. say own it, and own what you're saying, and and you'll be just fine. Yep. What were some of the biggest victories? I mean, there's there's a handful here, but what were some of the biggest victories from when you started? Was it, I mean, it sounded like middle of COVID. So 2021 is when you actually started. Yeah, January January seventh, 2021 is the official. So it's like only getting... been two years. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what are some of the biggest victories in the last two years? So much. I mean, we, 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 to summarize it, right, we started flipping land, I think eventually after like 65 or so lots. We stopped, went into like virtual wholesaling, expanded from there into eight different states. Eventually like realized you're selling a lot of these deals at a discount, started going into the fix and flip business, um, probably 50, 60 turnkey deals had a team up to 35 in-house employees, full acquisition, TC, Dispo, everything, and then realized, you know, um, there's more to that. And, you know, took that took that initiative, um, quarter three of going into multifamily development. And now actually we're building a, a 20 door apartment complex. You know, it goes back to like, we always had the dream of going from land wholesaling to doing some big land development. And now we're in a process right now of going vertical on a 20 unit. And um, this year the goal is going to acquire 250 doors. And, um, you know, never even thought this would be absolutely possible of like so many doors in one year. But, you know, you talk to the right people, you see it's doable, you copy their processes. And um, the victory is just like we 
we've grown so quickly. Like we almost like, you know, do something for a couple months. We learn a lot. We get really good, and then we kind of move on. We like we always. I guess and this kind of comes back maybe from my from my background being a decathlete, right? So I do all the events in track and field, not just sprint. And I think that was maybe like the curiosity when we started is. I want to try it all. I want to like see how wholesale feels. I want to see how a fixed flip feels because I don't know. We might start in wholesaling, but I don't know if, if I'm like really good at it. Maybe that's not my passion. So we, we try to do everything and get really good at everything to eventually go into multifamily. It was always the goal. And we knew we had to like understand everything, you know, construction, wholesale, acquisition, TC, syndicating, raising money, all these things to then go into it. And eventually once we learned it, then we're like, okay, you know, now we have literally everything together. Let's go into that. Um, and... We have we many are, yeah. victories, but I would say personally, I think our biggest victory is our network. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Network Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, we started with knowing one person that was a broker, which mm -hmm. led us to another. And I feel like without our network, without being referred to people, mm -hmm. um, we wouldn't be where we're at today. We wouldn't be sitting in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, it was always a dream to get to know you and, and like-minded people like you. But without consistently building relationships and nurturing the relationships we wouldn't have have we wouldn't have the network we have today yeah. and our network has actually given us opportunity to build and grow much faster oh yeah so i mean everything we've we've done from our first flip was based on network right because mm -hmm. like going from there going from hosting land to hosting houses there was you know other people that are extremely good at it we start learning, talking to them, you know, how do you do it? How do you underwrite and what's your process? Eventually, same with construction, right? How do you even look at a deal that you fix and flip? You know, it's the whole process. Run me through it. Give me everything you have and I'll, you know, take the knowledge and then turn around and do something good with it. I promise, you know, I'll use, I'm just basically a sponge. You're sucking in all the knowledge that we could for being proactive and talking to people. And there's so many people out there that give back. You know, it's amazing and, and how much is, is out there that you can Yeah, do. and quite frankly, a lot of these people that are successful now they've been through it all they've won it all and they've lost it all yeah. so for us mm -hmm. this young able to talk to someone who has lost everything and now they're multi-millionaires with thousands of assets like that's incredible yeah. for us to sit here and learn from them because without us learning from them we could make the same mistake they did mm -hmm. or even much worse so right uh so you went Let's talk through this journey here, right? So you did land. It obviously did well. And then you stopped it completely? We transitioned. Transitioned. Yeah. I know you were saying because you're the Catholic and you want to uh, try everything. Uh, was, was, did you reach a saturation point with land? I guess my question is, why not wholesale land and houses? Why did you transition from land to houses? Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't like an either or. We we started adding houses to our inventory. You know, started mm -hmm. contacting house leads and kind of learning that process. Right, it was a similar overall process of you know how to contact them, how to close them, how to you know n negotiate, etc. So we started adding houses in there, and then um, we just got really curious of the process of you know what if you buy it, you know now we're making ten thousand dollars in assignment fee, what if we fix it up. And then make forty thousand at the end, and mm -hmm. just like what is what is all about the entire process of you know going in and actually adding value to something, not just flipping a contract. I've never seen a property, so and it can kind of came from you know obviously HDTV. You see those TV shows, you're like you know let's try it out too. Like mm -hmm. how does it feel like doing a, a rehab? It's definitely stressful, but um, yes, it is. It is. It is really stressful, and there's a lot <laughs> of things that might go wrong. But the curiosity then pushed us there, and then so when we came 
from you know then wholesaling houses to then going to do some fix and flips and also turnkey deals, raising capital. Obviously, there was a focus then kind of set where we had to relocate some of our time into that business. Um, we still were doing some land wholesaling. Eventually, slowed it down just because the profit margin at that point in time was like you know time versus um, income. You know how much time can we spend and where are we making the most money. So we transitioned more into the housing side. Not saying you know can, you cannot make enough money with land. There's a lot of money in land too, but eventually then our process um because of curiosity of like something new transition more into that and then um you know we were building relationships there we're getting contractors in-house we started raising more money from investors overseas they're interested in turnkey products so again there was a need people wanted to buy turnkey products cash flowing properties so we knew okay you know there's a market we can now satisfy let's find these deals they have the process let's turn around and let's make a profit you know eventually then you know, scale away from land um but I guess the knowledge we've learned by, you know, how to, how to underwrite land and everything that comes with the land side helped us now in the multifamily because we knew exactly we got a smoking deal because we knew how to look at the land versus the, the building on it. Mm. So you went from wholesaling land to wholesaling houses mm-hmm. to flipping houses. Yep. So you want to know how it felt doing each. Yep. Yeah. And to piggyback off of kind of what Max said, you can do everything. You can do everything all at once even, but you won't be excellent in all of right. them. And so we were, you know, more than happy doing wholesaling, more than happy even doing, you know, fix and flips, but we really wanted to tie down on one thing and wholesaling just wasn't our appetite. Mm -hmm. So we definitely, you know, took a different direction and it's because we feel like we haven't tasted that taste we're looking for yet until now. Um, but yes, you can do everything, but if you want to be excellent in one thing, you have to tie down and focus. Why was wholesaling that in line with what you're trying to do? For me, I'm a people's person and I like to have um, face-to-face conversations and I like to get to know people and I feel like a wholesale transaction is very one and done. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. What do you What do you think? I think it was just so burning. It was burning us out because it's a consistent hunt and I guess we we maybe never had like a system that allowed us to really like sit back and really just operate it. We were always actively in, you know, making calls, going to deals, negotiating. It was a consistent hunt. Mm -hmm. You get a deal, you close it, and you have to go continue, 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 continue. And um, it's really exhausting. At the end of the day, you know, when the market turns, then eventually you turn with it if you don't have anything to fall back to it. And then, you know, you're reading books, you're talking to people that have been in the industry for years, and eventually everyone said, you know, if the wholesale goes sideways, you have need something to fall back to, you know, sure. owning assets, the benefits of owning real estate. And eventually I knew, okay, if you want to own rentals, we need to also understand the construction piece, but we, are, we know how to get them at a discount, we know how to negotiate them, but what happens after? You know, let's, let's get to know that as well. So eventually that a long run, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, we can have assets to sit back to, and our kids have a, a huge amount of assets to fall back to, mm-hmm. and whatever happens to whatever recession is coming up, you have something to fall back to. But wholesale is always a skill set that can easily be activated again if needed, right? So going back to wholesaling and flipping, if you had to do it again, right, let's take everything else off the table. Wholesaling houses, flipping houses. Uh, wholesaling. Wholesaling. Yeah. Wholesaling. So you did the flipping, and he's like, okay, this is that it. <laughs> we enjoyed it. Yeah. We you, still you do it. it. It's, it's obviously a lot long-term, right? It's not like a quick, right? You have to mm-hmm. tie it up. So it's like four months and then you have these projects that look good on paper and you tear down the walls and all of a sudden you see there's a lot more than expected and now you're really breaking even. It's more, you... it's a gamble. <laughs> yeah. 
quite yeah, frankly, I mean, like can with get really good at like underwriting them, but there's always something, right? There's all, I mean, not a single project yet when like planned. You have a construction budget. And I haven't always had a something. construction budget go under. Yeah, I've no. never been like, oh, we did this for five thousand cheaper. It's <laughs> never been that. <laughs> no, it's always been like, oh. We didn't oh, account for this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, exactly. we didn't account for that. We got a new goal for 2023. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So it went from uh, flipping houses then straight into multifamily? E, no, we went from flipping to eventually um, owning them. So, like, we basically syndicated houses in a way, right? So when interest rates were still in our favor, if you buy them the right way, you could almost cash and refinance the entire amount. In Oregon? No, there no, was one in Florida. Not in Oregon. In Oregon, I'm saying. <laughs> in Oregon, uh, it, it would be tough. <laughs> well, um, that's what I was going to say. Like, I mean, you're buying all these rentals in Oregon. It's like, uh, no, no, Oregon is not a cash flow. It's not a cash flow market. No, these, these started then in Florida. Um, so, I mean, we, we started in eight states, right? We, we were Oregon. And like one of our main markets was also Arizona and Nevada with the land side of things. We had a lot of land going on here and then eventually Florida. Because um, there, you know, when we went into the land space, we looked. There's a lot of movement happening. There's a lot of construction happening. So a lot of people that are moving into Florida, right? So there was a lot of new development happening. So eventually, we started flipping land there, and we really liked that market. It was still affordable. We saw, you know, doing more research. It was still cash flowing in most markets. You know, not necessarily Miami, but some of the outside markets. Um, so we realized there was an opportunity, and we watched it for what, nine, nine to 12 months, and there was, you know, I don't know, a thousand people every day moving to Florida, mm -hmm. right? So you're putting the numbers together. It's like, okay, there's a huge demand right there. Um, you know, let's go into that market. And then we also knew, okay, by the time we're done with school, the world is ours. We can move anywhere. So let's start building our business somewhere where we want to move to. So we eventually started you know, relocating to Tampa, started doing business there because we wanted to move to the Tampa market and be local to our business, not running it virtually. So kind of like all, all picture together of like, hey, we want to move there. Let's start doing business there. And eventually it was a good cash flowing market to the most part. And, and it turned out to be a great decision. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you don't just go into multifamily, right? Like you have to be able to raise capital. Yep. So talk to me about raising capital. Raising capital seemed to be like the miracle at the beginning. So I was like, how? How? Right? Every time I was like on these CG calls, like, how do you raise money? Like, why would somebody give you money? And um, eventually, like, we, we understood, obviously, like, if you're having a deal that makes sense, it's not necessarily hard finding the money because you can offer something that makes sense financially for them. It's secured by real estate, right? You just have to present it the right way. Um, how we started raising money was a lot of overseas investors came in, and I guess there was the relationship, again, that I have from being international. There was almost like a certain trust, right? I understood how they were thinking. I understood how the local market was you know, looking like in comparison to the U.S. So I could pitch that directly to them and offer them the opportunity. And there was almost like the sense of trust of, you know, this is a, a local that now lives in the U.S. and understands the market, has been there. But I had the European mindset and I, I was able to communicate in the European fashion, which was highly appreciated for some of these investors. So it made it easy for us to, to raise money there. And now we're, we're pivoting a lot into raising capital from professional athletes, a lot of NFL players, professional baseball players, working with us because again i'm bridging a gap between you know not just athlete a financial advisor I'm, I'm an athlete myself i know exactly what we do we have the same gym most of the time they see me work out they see me as being a real person uh, and the commitment i put into the sports and they're interested about what we're doing on the site yeah. so you know it kind of like happened there by just building these relationships and like using some of my background to bridge the gap um you know eventually reached out to family friends and got recommendations from you know, family members who knew somebody with money they wanted to invest um, but I guess the biggest part at the beginning was just 
getting the the trust to do a big project, right? Because you're still young. Most people don't believe in you when you're young. So we had to obviously find GPs and partners and we still have to do it for the next yeah. couple of years probably until we have the resume to do it. But you have to give up a certain share. But again, it's more like, you know, when you're in school, you start adding something on your resume and it's okay, maybe getting only 5%, 10% there, but you're building something. So you're finding the deal, you're syndicating, you're doing all the hard work, you give somebody else the credit for being a GP, but you're able, you're able to bring it all together. <laughs> And eventually you learn so much about it. And uh, so real estate, it's all again about people, right? You yeah. have to like, bring the right people together and build their trust and relationships. So for someone listening right now that has not raised capital yet, so they've done a few wholesale deals, but they haven't raised capital yet. What are the first three steps you would tell them to go do right now? Begin raising capital. Find a deal that works and the money <laughs> will follow you. Yeah. I mean, I guess you almost have to start raising it a little bit earlier to anticipate a deal. Um, the first thing we did was like just going through your contact book, right? Because sometimes you just ignore the people that you know because you're like, I know them, they don't have anything. But mm -hmm. it's like, do I really know them? Like maybe they know somebody like, oh, they're working in the finance industry. Let me just reach out to them and see what people do they know or do they have any interest, right? Just talk to them. Say, hey, we're real estate, we're doing this project right now. This is what the numbers look like. You know, there's X amount of profit. If you're coming in, blah, 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 you're secured by the real estate and then see what happens. Just having conversations and eventually... Again, it's about the network. Eventually, somebody might be interested. And then, and then you do something with them, else. and then they connect you because they're like, hey, this deal went well. I have five other guys with money. They want to work with you. Um, so, I mean, we came in when we started first. Right? We didn't like raise millions right away. We started raising a couple thousand because we did um, on the construction side. Then we, we syndicated some of these con uh, single-family flips right? because we got a construction loan, like a, a bridge loan to fix up that property. So most of it was covered. And then in the refinance, there was, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 needed sometimes in order to make it cash flow based on the DCR ratio, the debt service coverage ratio. So, but then we syndicated them like, hey, we told somebody, hey, you give us $40,000 to come in the deal. It's going to be done. You get an 8% cash on cash return, 30% equity, 15% return on investment, right? So we, the numbers made sense and it was secured. We went mm -hmm. into escrow, you know, both of us on title. Um, so we owned a portion of it, but we basically did the whole, the whole work of bringing everything together. So you do a couple of these, you build your resume, they connect you to other people. Eventually there's somebody with a little bit more money wants to invest in like, you know, more syndication kind of projects. And then it just kind of happens naturally. So we didn't plan it. I guess we kind of like naturally pivoted into it. Yeah. Right? yeah. So step one, contacts. Mm -hmm. Go on your phone contacts and just mm -hmm. call people. Um, was there a step two in there or was it just, just call people? <laughs> I think I mean, that's the most important step too would then be going into uh, local real estate meetups, mm -hmm. right? Especially yeah. if you're in like bigger cities like Phoenix. I mean, there's so many meetups that you can attend to and, and just yes, talk to are. people, right? In, in the suburban market, maybe not, but maybe you have to drive two hours for like mm -hmm. a meetup, right? It's, it's, there's so much uh, real estate, local real estate meetups. There's a lot of people that are interested in it, but everyone is an expert. There's people also going in like, hey, I want to invest in real estate and I want to you know, meet somebody who has a great product for me to invest in. Right, so it's, it's calling your, your first circle of contacts, then expanding to local meetups, you know, Facebook groups, building your relationships. I mean, the online presence is insane. You can yeah. meet thousands of people a day if you choose to. Yeah. So you know, putting it's something the third out, one, then yeah. building building a brand, building something, rep you know, something that people trust, social media presence or something like that. So if people research you, of who's that guy to talk to me there about a project? Yeah. Um, having something to like. You know, say, look, you're updated. I want to see party pictures of you, you know, always drunk on parties. It might not be the perfect, <laughs> the perfect idea. Yeah. But Put that account on private. <laughs> yeah. So 
then you transition again to to only multiple assets. You guys are at 200 plus doors right now. Yeah, we're selling mm -hmm. a 68 unit now, and then um, trying to you know reuse the capital for mm -hmm. different investments. But this year is really our one goal is just acquiring as much assets as possible, and it's a little bit because of the real estate environment right now. I have I've learned the last six months was extremely stressful when the market turned. And I realized, you know, there's nothing really for me to fall back to. Like we have a good wholesale business, but um, we had those months we broke even and we certainly had months we lost money because we didn't close deals, but we still continued spending money in marketing. So we realized, okay, you know, what is it really that makes us recession proof? That was like this number one thing for me. How can I be recession proof? How can I be recession proof? And I realized it's, it's owning assets, mm -hmm. right? So we even eventually had to like understand, okay, Whatever happens, we have to own assets um, in the long run for us to be, be sustainable. And um, just from my understanding of what happened in the last cycle, in a recession, usually you're able to pick up deals at a discount. So I'm mm -hmm. seeing the next 18 to 24 months as a massive opportunity for acquiring long-term assets versus you know trying to wholesale them. Right? So using the knowledge we have of finding deals, but now figuring out how to hold them. So then in 10 years, I look back and say, like, luckily, I didn't sell that deal. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's huge. So, again, talk to me about this transition, right, for people listening to start acquiring assets. Like, what were the first few things you did to make sure that you could, you know, start building the re recession-proof uh, portfolio? The number one thing is mindset. I think for us at the beginning, it was almost like it seemed like we're not ready for owning assets. You know, it's almost this thing you look forward to in the future, and, like, you know, eventually we get there once we have an XYZ amount of money. Mm -hmm. Um, like changing your mindset, especially with multifamily, it's, it's the biggest thing. A lot of people are scared because, you know, multiple doors, more zeros, more mm. work. But A lot of zeros. <laughs> I can tell you, like, one multifamily is less stressful than having four flips at the same time, yeah. even though the numbers might be totally different, but it's, it's a different kind of setup. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a mindset thing of, like, I can do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm not scared of the building. Did you jump straight into multifamily? Like, did you just jump straight into multiple doors, or did you just buy single family and then... We, we bought single first, yeah. We, okay. we started with single because we didn't have the mindset. Um, eventually, the, the mindset came from listening to your podcast, uh, Tim Bratz, mm -hmm. you know, owning 5,000 doors. And I right. saw the headline, we, I was like... minds were blown. Yeah, I was like, 5,000 doors, there's no way. Like, <laughs> what is he, like a hedge fund, right? It's like, yeah. there's no way. Like, how would you, like, maybe five doors is mm -hmm. cool. 20 doors is crazy, but 5,000 is like, no way. Yeah. So listen to it. And his story, right, with the, you know, the first seven years, he was... Going back and forth, and then same thing. Yeah, I mean, he was same paying thing. for gas with coins. Yeah, yeah, right. Like similar, uh, you know, getting to the very bottom before things turn around. So, right now, if I want to go buy a multifamily again, like, is what's what step one? Is it pulling a list? Is it, uh, you know, calling brokers? Like, what are you guys doing to to buy multifamily right now? relationships yeah brokers. again relationships it's a little bit different on the multi than single there's not much like direct acquisition you, you can call call uh investment firm and nobody's gonna answer right mm -hmm. so it's more about the relationships especially the certain unit size we're targeting like 35 50 dollars and up so there's not really many mom and pop buyers that would answer their calls more investment firms lc so you're not necessarily getting hold of these guys um so it's just really building this relationship locally with the the, the key real estate brokers there's only like four or five maybe mm -hmm. in, in market that really have the good deals. Mm -hmm. And again, it's persistency. I've texted these guys probably more than <laughs> anyone else. And they're like, I need, you know, I just need to they're talk like, to them. I need a 
I need to get rid yeah, of this guy. But instead of getting rid of you, you text them and, and they don't answer. And the next day I text him again and I call him and leave a voicemail, email. That's and then so eventually, funny. like, I go and like actually show up in the office. Like, they don't answer me. I show up in the office. I'm like, hey, I've texted you four or five times. Like, let's talk. You know, I'm serious. I'm trying to get this done. And um, and they're just having these conversations. And again, it goes back to like being a salesperson, right? You gotta read them. You gotta make sure like they trust you. They know you're serious. Like, real estate brokers in the commercial space are really um different they, they, look, they look at people. everyone like you know you prove me that you're able to yeah, they're super skeptical yeah super yeah. skeptical yeah they don't think anybody's yeah. good enough to hang out hang out yeah. hang around no them. no they have their few people they send the deals mm-hmm. to and that's it but that's so funny because we were actually in the airport this morning and max was just blowing up this guy's phone for the last like four days and i told him i was like okay max it's it's been a while like let's let's give it a rest and he said I'm going to call him one more time. So he called him. He didn't answer. We got on our flight. And finally, he yeah. responded to us. Um, the first message he got was after our flight was that guy. And now we have a something set up for yes, Friday. It's, it's a 16-unit. <laughs> I, mean, I was saying he was super consistent. Right? They told me multiple times, no, no, no. The seller wants you know, 2.6 for it. And it was just not working. So I came in every single day. I contacted the lender. I contacted the closing company, I contacted every single one to get as much information as possible. And I texted this guy every day. You should see my text. It's like five, <laughs> six messages in a row. He didn't answer, right? And then I call him and he just gets the automatic message of like, sorry, I can't talk right now. Yeah. It was the only message. But I <laughs> use it as a response. It's like he responded. Let's feed into it again. <laughs> and eventually here we are today. Now he was pushed so much into distress at this point in time that he's like, okay, this guy that called me eight times now. Let's talk about it. So tomorrow we have a meeting with him. And, um, you know, by, by, by he's almost like, yeah, he's definitely annoyed, but also, like, he's in such a distress that he understands, okay, I'm taking this serious, you know, I'm not wasting time, and I told him, like, hey, let's get this done quickly, I'm not trying to, you know, waste 30 days, give me the information I need, and we can talk about it, and this is actually one that we might take over creative financing, because the guy is, you know, not in the way right now to stabilize it, um, so we had a conversation today about, you know, taking over the existing mortgage, stabilizing it, refinancing him out, but... If I would not have contacted him every single day, even on Sunday and on Valentine's, it doesn't matter. Like I am on <laughs> <Yeah>. it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, there it. is a there is a fine line between harassing someone and being persistent. I'm not sure if that's true in sales. I think it's right. there's no fine line. It's just <laughs> <laughs> it's this whole spectrum. All right, so uh, so it sounds like then the uh, really you're targeting your backyard. So you're dealing with all the commercial brokers in your backyard. Mm-hmm. So you guys are not doing this nationally have people send you deals so because there's there's Not multiple yet. ways to, to attack this right i think we had a i think it was a, uh, it wasn't fernando uh, i can't remember who was on the show but like he calls nationwide and he calls everyone that has a note due right like mm-hmm. you buy apartments right you have to do five year seven year term or five year seven year balloons right and he just calls everyone in the six months before the balloons do right because either mm. they have to refinance or they have to sell it right mm. so that's what he does you know and i had when tim brats uh not on the show, I, you know, because we're in Collective Genius, had a chance to, you know, grab some drinks late, right? You know, 12, 30, 1 o'clock <laughs> uh-huh. in the morning at the bars. They were supposed to be closed <laughs> during COVID, but, you know, whatever. It's Florida. <laughs> yeah, it's Florida. And so I asked him, like, Tim, like, how do you even buy these deals? Does it, like, these are sophisticated investors. He's like, you're overthinking it. Like, everyone's got problems. Exactly. Right? Everyone has problems. Okay, that makes total sense. So uh, he goes through and... I think for Tim, basically, people are sending him deals across the country. So one guy is just calling all the refi people, Tim, because of his reputation. Everyone just sends him deals. Like, hey, is this a deal? What do you think? And then if it's a deal, he'll like, do an adventure with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, right now, you're saying, 
in your backyard? Is it Tampa or all Florida? It is mainly Tampa. I mean, pretty much Florida would make sense. I always tell people mm-hmm. like Florida makes sense. And eventually you want to go nationwide. There's other markets, you know, they're great to go invest in. I'm seeing it more as an alternative challenge right now going out of state. I want to just really get good. And there's a thing, and it's what Grant Cardone always mentioned, that there's deals in every single market, mm-hmm. right? If the numbers make sense, it doesn't matter if you're in the most expensive market right. or not. If the numbers make sense, the cash flows, it is a deal. Mm-hmm. So don't be, you know, scared of like, oh, I got to go in some cash flowing market. I'm not in a great market. You're just adding extra challenges because you got to fly out there. You take a look at a property, send contractors there. And we have we have one in, in Oklahoma that was a headache because, you know, it was made sense cash flowing, but the management of it, Made it, made, it, made it super complicated. So now we're like, you know, we're just focusing on our market right now, getting some more deals under our belt, and then eventually building a really smooth process and then just duplicate it into a different market. And you're finding yeah. the needed pieces, contractors, and relationships to then scale. But I think right now... It's easier to control when it's, it's in It's easier because I can just go yeah. to an office of a commercial brokerage and knock on a door, right? Yeah. I'd have to fly over there. If, if they ignore me, i got to fly over there to knock, and it might yeah. be, you know, a waste of time. Well, the, yeah, that's what I was asking, right? It has to be in your backyard if it's face-to-face. So, yeah. like, you know, I've been really fortunate, blessed, right? Like, I'm in one apartment deal with Stephanie Betters, right, with mm, Love Me. Nice, yeah. And it was a situation where, like, you know, hey, I just closed on this apartment. You know, if anyone's interested in investing, let me know. I sent her a message. And then, you know, she's like, I got this deal. I was able to invest with her, right? Mm-hmm. But her strategy, it appears to be same thing, right? People are just sending her deals <laughs> from across the country. Yeah. Right? She's got a great database in that she literally owns Salesforce. <laughs> so she's got a database oh, yeah. of everyone else that uses her database, right? So she can just reach out to all her clients. So then, so for you, step one is reaching out to all the local brokers. Mm-hmm. What about the park? Because we just talked about it. Like, they're super skeptical, mm-hmm. right? Like, they just think you know, like, uh, they're above everybody else. At least that's been my experience. So after, (laughs) yeah. Right. So after you get in front of them, what are you doing to build credibility so that they will send you deals, especially if you've never done a deal? I would say just from my perspective is the conversation, you know, when you hop on a phone call with someone, you automatically know right away within the first couple of seconds of how that phone call is going to go, how that person is, what they're looking to do with you, whether they're trying to sell you, buy something from you, this or that. So I feel like conversation is the first. Almost feel like, um, yeah, you're right. It's almost like being surrounded by an apex predator, Mm -hmm. right? You got to think about commercial agents. They're like somewhat on the top of the food chain, Mm -hmm. for sure. If they're really good and they have the connections, they get crazy deals. They have really good connections. The apex predator. So if you're out there, you know, in, in the desert and there's an apex predator, they can sense your emotions. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think the same thing with those commercial agents. They, they sense when, when you don't know what you're doing. They can smell weakness. Yeah. yeah and so f- I realized this early on. So I go in there. I'm probably more confident than I should have. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like so confident. And it's also obviously you have to know what you're saying, right? They're going to ask you the questions. You always see when they ask, you know, specific terms and stuff like that. see like if you actually know your game. So you have to obviously understand specific knowledge to have a conversation to to make sure when you talk to the right person, they know you know what you're doing. Um, but then it's just like being super confident. They didn't know what you're doing. And I, I always like turn a conversation around, but they start asking questions and then I ask counter questions. I'm like, okay, so tell me about you. Tell me about your background. Like, why should I trust you? Why should I buy from you, not from somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. So then it turns around where I make them almost uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden you break through the ice. And it's like, okay, you know, this guy seems to know what he's doing. Then and they ask have the real the conversation. Yeah. Sure. And so there's like two levels of conversation. One is like, who are you? It's super skeptical. Yeah. And you can actually, and then after that, you can break through that and you can have a real conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. And then did you, did they require proof of funds, a track record? Like what did you do after that? Like 
again, for someone that's not doing multifamily right now, yep. what do they need to show to a commercial broker so that a commercial broker will send them deals? The good ones always ask for like a track record and a proof of funds. And in the first couple of deals, we use other people. Mm -hmm. So use their basically experience. Like, hey, you know, it's a business, my business partner working together. Here's his proof of funds. Here's his track record. Um, and it's like basically like your GP relationship, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, I'm trying to find deals. If I find something good, would you close this deal with me? And if you find a GP or somebody who's like, yeah, I have, you know, 15 million in net worth or whatever it is, I own some assets, let's do it. Use them at the beginning, I guess, to close these deals until you have your resume, right? Okay. And I think that's a great point. So then for someone that doesn't have a GP, because right, we're talking about relationship, like that was like one of the biggest things we had yeah. earlier, and I absolutely mm -hmm. agree with you guys. How do they find someone with a track record that be willing to work with them to do their first deal? Again, I mean, it's either like going out to to local meetups and you know finding people that are in that space and presenting them what you're doing and finding like-minded people, or there's so many groups you can join on the mm -hmm. internet. Yeah. Like I think social media. Social media is it's like. The biggest power we have right now is being able to reach out to so many different people in such a short amount of time. Because I mean, it's like anyone that does multifamily, Tim Bratz, like anyone who's even coaching it, or even us, if you reach out to us and say, have a great deal, can I use your experience just to get the financials and get in front of them anytime? Right. Because right? at the end of the day, it benefits both sides. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, I think don't be afraid to reach out to somebody who might seem above you, but telling them like, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. I have a deal right now. Here's the basic numbers. Which you give me your credibility to get you know, the financials, yeah. and never, I think there was nobody would say no, right? Right. I mean. Like especially <laughs> for us because we didn't necessarily have that relationship with someone to be like, hey, we have this big deal. Can we piggyback on you and learn mm -hmm. how you do it all? We didn't really have that in the beginning. Um, so for us, when someone does come to us and they do have a deal, we're like, let's effing do it, yeah. right? Yeah. Because we're here to support others, especially our age and obviously older but when you're younger you don't you don't know much mm -hmm. you're like a tiny fish in a big ocean and you're surrounded by all these sharks and um so for us especially we're more than more than happy to venture along with someone and give them the opportunity that we didn't necessarily have yeah so. um how did you guys find okay it's two questions first people listening because we haven't talked touched on this yet what does gp stand for oh general partner <laughs> So you have, when you, when you syndicate multifamily, you have a, a GP, is a general partner. Most of the time, that's the person who secures the loan. So your net worth is, you know, somewhat the same amount, and more than the loan amount. Or you have a GP group with multiple people, and their collected net worth is more. Yeah. And then you have your LPs, the lending partners that, you know, bring in private equity to close it. And then you usually the syndication piece in between that gets mm -hmm. the puzzle pieces together. Right. So how did you guys find your first GP? Our first GP came uh, actually from Collective Genius because mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of amazing guys in there. So there are. yeah, networking again, and right? girls. being in, yeah. being in the right um, there are right environment. Someone Stephanie a moment ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah she was She's a boss. she was actually like one of the it was like a while back. Like when I first we were still in land, we had no idea about houses. We came across a really decent deal. We sent to her, and the numbers actually made made sense. But uh, it was closed before we had a chance to really send an LOI. Um, but she was the first one that actually like sit down was and talk to us. Was willing to work with us. Kind of explained yeah. us like how to look at multifamily. Was, you know, at this point I was like, hey, I have this deal. Does it make sense? Is it a good deal? And she was interested in it. Unfortunately, we didn't close on it or even had a chance to make an offer. But yeah, again, she, she was amazing. Um, kind of opening up our, our perspective of it's doable. And then we continued feeding into that educational piece of getting to know underwriting more and how the, yeah. the fashion works. Yeah. 
Yeah, so there's a couple of things here. So we talked about collective genius, right? Which obviously we're in the same mastermind. And then we brought up Stephanie. Um, so, you know, she's been a recent addition to the Well Club, right? So mm-hmm. you guys walked in here. When you guys walked in around a little bit before one, right? I was still wrapping up that call. So you're also in the Well Club. We've got to connect through there. So uh, for those that aren't familiar with it, right, that aren't watching, you know, Certainty Talks, can you share briefly, you know, your experience with the Well Club? Yeah, the Will Club is um, is combining just not just real estate itself. It's combining different investment ventures, right? There's people from different industries. There's the, the crypto component to it as well. So it's like I'm almost staying ahead of the game and what's happening in the next couple of years. How can we take advantage of it? Right? There's so much new technology coming up, uh, Web 3.0, uh, NFTs, right? And it's all going to impact real estate ultimately. So there's uh, the one thing is the research about how to capture those new um, opportunities and technologies to our advantage educate on, on those things, but also as a collective group of, you know, again, people in different spaces that are interested in the same goals, right? There's people who might want to go into real estate and then we have real estate professionals there or for us doing something else. Yeah. And there's other professionals there. So it's, it's a great, again, a great mastermind of like-minded people with the same goals and aspirations. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to, right, like the relationship, right? So it's cool, like the relations we're able to create, right? Yeah, you know, you coming uh, to the Whale Club events as well. So. One thing I want to make sure we hit on before we get to audience questions is um, being a husband-wife team. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is my favorite topic. It's probably really easy, right, to manage marriage and business. There's no problems whatsoever. Well, <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, actually, like there isn't much. I think our problems were mm-hmm. in the beginning, and we and we worked together to overcome them. Like, if anything, I think we've created more happiness than mm-hmm. than we did before we were more connected and we're closer and we think about the same things mm-hmm. talk about the same things um so let's talk about then you said in the beginning there were challenges what were the challenges in the beginning and then how did you resolve them well <laughs> max is like you know a very determinated or has a lot of determination and a little intense he's very persistent <laughs> i is very lazy mm-hmm. um and i can admit that and um you know for me to work with someone that has so much energy it was mm-hmm. a little hard for me because i'm used to living my day-to-day relax this and that oh i'm done with school i go to my serving job come home sleep go to bed but he was like no 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 you're not going to bed yet we're gonna sit down we're gonna make some offers this and that and he was holding me accountable but I didn't know how to take it mm-hmm. um I was like you need to be my husband like you're not my boss this and that and over time I was realizing he's only trying to make me a better person he's only trying to help me grow see new things um grow together and make something together so if it was just for me I had to open up and say hey he's trying to do something for me not mm-hmm. he's not trying to hurt me right yeah, I think it was really important for me. It was almost like investing in her, um, and it was it, it helped our relationship. I think it's you know there's there's people that might not be able to work with their husband and wives, but for us, um, it almost got us so much closer than anything else because we've been doing the same thing, we're loving it, and we're having these these accomplishments together. But at the beginning, of course, it was I had to understand how to talk to my wife because I was talking to her in a way like I talk to myself, and it's sometimes like really strict of like you know let's get it done, don't show emotions, don't be weak. You know, don't complain. 
Um, you have to, because there was I a lot of. I can only imagine well. saying those words to my wife and seeing yeah. how it <laughs> We had a lot of, you know, stress in the back, right? It wasn't, so we, we had to do it. So there was a lot of just like, we don't have a choice right now. You know, right. we, we cannot just go to bed and sleep. We got to get it done. But eventually you learn how to communicate with her in a professional manner and it helps with the relationship too. And um, I would not be here without her. I think that was yeah. like the biggest investment I've done is like almost, um, we are like two bodies and one brain. Like, and this is our superpower because we get twice as much done because we're both doing the same thing. We're both on the same level. Like, you know, we're splitting up on a daily basis and we get so much done because it's like, okay, what are you doing today? What am I doing today? How do we plan our days? How can we become more efficient? And I think we've, we've managed it so far really well of like just being absolutely on top of things. And I guess the biggest challenge is, is the work-life balance. Um, mm -hmm. We have these things where we... You know, you have to tell each other, like, hey, tonight let's just not talk about work. I know mm -hmm. there's a lot going on, but let's have a date night. Um, it's it's not easy, but on the other side, if both do it and both are so consumed in a way, in a positive fashion, where we enjoy it, uh, you know, it's not necessarily hindering those date nights. Yeah. It's just an addition where you have to get these balanced points straightened out. Like yesterday, we, we, did, we have worked super, super hard this month. We're like, you know what, let's just have this Valentine's. It was our anniversary, so we just went to the beach all day and... And really walk just, 10 miles, let yeah. me just say. Super cool. But <laughs> a little just, exhausting. Just being able to do that and be like, hey, you know, let's not talk about it. And we just talk about our future. Yeah, right? that's and what we love to do together, actually, is, is talk about our future and manifest things that we want for each other mm -hmm. and our family. And it's actually funny because my mom FaceTimed me yesterday and she's like, so did you get out and do something? Did you, you know go on a dinner date with another couple that's not in real estate <laughs> because we talk, eat, and breathe real estate all the mm. time because we love it but for my mom she's like there's more the to life than just real estate so for us it's really hard for us to like separate that because we love what we do and you know we would rather be at home watching a movie underwriting deals than mm. going out and partying so i'm just hard. like super proud of katie too because as you know, real estate is a really like male-heavy space. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, the first meetups we went to was like 95, 98% just men. And she was super intimidated at first. And now she's just a badass, right? She's yeah. really grown <laughs> into it where she's like, you know, she's t telling people what to do. She knows exactly what she's doing. And she has just been growing so immensely in the last two years. And I think it's also one of the major forces of our collective success because she almost like is that the missing piece you know i'm sometimes i'm getting too locked up in certain things and then she kind of like pulls me back uh you know sets, sets the focus again um and obviously doing doing emotional times when when stuff is not going right um she's usually like the rock yeah. or, you know, vice versa so i think that was um mm -hmm. thank you of course thank you for likewise <laughs> well and i can certainly you know empathize here or sympathize with the struggle here because like my wife is also in the business right mm -hmm. um not working alongside me but she's also in real estate mm -hmm. and so it's a struggle and we have to set boundaries on date night mm -hmm. we cannot talk about real estate and there's not much else to talk about it's really unfortunate like so <laughs> what'd you do today uh <laughs> right uh so i totally uh, uh get that on, on the boundary side uh what advice then would you give someone that's like starting a new venture with their spouse be patient and um, give your partner the freedom to grow because if you're watching over them the whole time, they're going to feel intimidated. It's going to be really hard for them to actually express and, and do what they need to do with, you know how it is when someone's, when you're getting your driver's license and 
the, the guy's right next to you and he's staring at every move, writing it down. It's intimidating. And that's like with many different things in life. And so when you give your partner the freedom to do something, let them do it. Mm -hmm. And then you can come together and talk about what needs to be fixed or what they did really well. But um, for myself, when we first started, I feel like it would have been much easier if I was able to try it on my own mm -hmm. and see how I did. And then collectively we came together. Um, I mean, what, what would you say? Yeah, I think the trusting each other too, right? There's this, it's a huge trust component. I mean, obviously, of course, if you're like in a relationship and you're marrying somebody, it's a huge trust and in building a business, that's just a, a different way of relationship. Um, and then also understanding that the same things apply to any relationship. It's like, it's, it's the support, it's, it's feeding into those relationships, continuously growing them. Um, so, and, and, and accepting these challenges, I think that's the one thing when you, when you do anything, you go in a relationship, you marry, you do start a business with somebody, there's, there's going to be challenges. So you have to be aware of them and also accept the struggle. And when, when you are in a struggling position, what I've learned is sometimes when you, you know, especially if you do it both and you both have a bad day, you both, you know, low energy is low, but sometimes that's what you have to learn. It's like understanding, okay, my partner is currently really low. I need to evaluate, you know, elevate myself to help her get out of it. So we can both feed each other to get out of it because mm. if both just feed into the negative emotion, it gets even farther <laughs> down. So it's like yes, the girl. awareness of like, okay, hey, we will be both down right now. I know today sucked and really be upset, but my responsibility now is realizing it and I have to like feed into her and help her get out or vice versa, right? And I think this has been really helpful on both our sides. We realize when it's time for us to go in and, and help each other and, you know, change the focus and just be there for each other and say, you know, everything is going to be okay. I mean, we... She has, she has this funny thing. Um, obviously, the last couple of years, last two years have been a lot of hard, has been a lot of hardship, right? There was a lot of bad days, hard days, disappointment, a lot of pressure. And she usually always comes in the office and she's like singing the song, you know, every little thing is going to be all right. Oh, yeah, don't, don't worry. worry. And yeah. it's like, it's so cute because then like, you know, I'm like totally emotionally down at the moment. And then she comes in and like, just leave me alone. And then. I'm like, okay, you know, you know, you're right. I start like singing it in his ear and then, Yeah, you know. yeah, and it helps. It's, it's like the relationship of like, you're right, babe. It's just going to be fine. Let's just, you know, breathe and continue, right? Yeah, that's awesome. So um, I want to answer the audience's questions. Mm -hmm. uh, but before we get to audience questions, we're going to take a very quick commercial break. These eight steps are why I was able to build a sales floor that produced over $20 million annually in wholesale profits. If you take and embrace these same steps, I know for a fact it's going to work in your organization too. Now, we only have 30 seats available in this classroom. I can't work with everybody. This is super personalized and super custom to your organization. I will personally work with each and every one of you to craft the language, the culture, the KPIs, the 15th and 30 day protocols and help you go home with a toolbox for leadership that is going to drive results. I hope that you can take advantage of this opportunity. During this two day workshop, I'm gonna be going over these eight steps and so much more that I didn't even have time to mention in this video. I'm gonna personally sit down with you on a one-in-one -one basis and make sure that you have the tools that are gonna get you success. This sales leadership program has a money back guarantee. If you don't see improvement in your revenue numbers, improvement in culture, improvement in accountability, we personally guarantee to refund the full amount of your payment. All right, so uh, looking at the questions here, uh, the first one, 
on YouTube is from Paul Brennan. So question is, are you guys coaching? Yes, actually, um, we, we haven't really rolled it out yet, you know, as an official coaching. Um, but we have taken some, some students on, on a mentorship side of things. We have a lot of wholesalers that are now transitioning into understanding how to syndicate deals, acquiring rentals, a lot of creative financing. That was one of the things we started learning six, eight months ago, and we really took that absolutely serious because I saw the immense power of it moving forward. So we're helping a lot of people understanding their creative financing. And um, we have some newer students now that came in that are brand new to real estate. So you're starting like, hey, you know, how to get started. It's a lot of mindset, foundation set up, all the things that we talk about and, you know, guiding them through. And then eventually we joined venture with our students. We had one student eventually, um, was it two, three years ago? We closed on a deal now that he got creative financing. We fixed it up. We helped him fund the deal. Everything, basically. He just found it and he gets the entire thing. But we helped him, like, this is his first deal, first resume. Amazing for us, amazing for him. Um, so we started coaching, um, and we really want to get, I think it's almost, um, almost, how to say this, right? We have gotten so much information from other people way ahead of us, right? And it's like, how can I ever give back to you? You literally just like gave me all the information I needed to, you know, break out of the system. How can I give back to you? And there's nothing you can possibly do to give back, but it's almost like now it's your responsibility to give back and help somebody else break out of the cycle, help somebody else, you know, overcome the struggles and just be there for somebody, right? For us, we would not be here without mentorships, people that have helped us, people that are the rock in the ocean and we cannot swim anymore. Mm. And for us, it's like, you know, now we've accomplished a lot of things. It's, it's giving back to the community, helping other people succeed. And that's just, um, it's just a huge reward for us, an emotional side of things. Of it's seeing like the other biggest people. reward for us, I think. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we started, it's, it's volmacoaching.com. Really simple. Our last name, volmacoaching.com. We have a breakdown there of, of what we offer and how it works. And so if, if anyone is interested, you know, watch the video, reach out to us, and then we can hop on a call and, and see if um, if you can bring value to yeah. you or even just like joint ventures or anything that you guys have. In fact, actually, you guys can also just uh, text me directly. It might be easier. We just got um, a new business phone. It's a 541 so uh, basically my phone, my cell phone, so just text me, say, hey, listen to the Steve Chang podcast. I have questions about XYZ or I have a deal. You know, I need a GP, whatever it might be. I'm happy to take a look and, and help you guys out the way, you know, people have helped us. Uh, so don't hesitate to reach out to me at all. I don't bite. Um, I'm happy to help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, you touched on, you talked about mindset, right? And well, first, before I get into that, totally echo with you, what you're saying, right? Like it's more fulfilling. It's so rewarding help other people move forward right in, yeah and in, in, in growing it's uh it's crazy because like you think when you first get into the business like i'm doing it for money freedom time mm -hmm. freedom but reality soul fulfillment far exceeds any of that mm -hmm. yeah um so you're talking about mindset so i remember i used to go to these events right these real estate events and they talk about mindset 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 it'd be so frustrating it's like, I don't care about the mindset stuff. Just give me the goods. Give me the, the techniques, the tactics, and this and that. What I was taking entirely for granted was that I'm fortunate to already have been to grow with a strong mindset, right? Like it was instilled in us. Like failure was not an option. You're going to get straight A's. You're going to win whatever you do. And if you're not, like it's massive disappointment. Like that, mm -hmm. there was no reward for success. It's only disappointment for failure. So growing up with that, I thought this mindset thing was like, you know, it's for someone else. Like, it's a waste of time. Like, just get into the tactics. So you spend a lot of time on mindset. So I'm asking you this question because 
it's obvious you're persistent. You got a strong mindset, right? You would not be uh, an international competitor in decathlons if you didn't already have a strong mindset. Yep. So how then are you talking about mindset for something that you probably already have given to you? So it's really funny. Our, our coaching calls with our students, as an example, the first call is always about mindset. And mm-hmm. I, I, the first 10 minutes, I feel the same energy. It's like, just give me like, you know, how do I do self-financing? What's the key? And I'm always what's like, the secret, what's the secret formula? Yeah. yeah. And I'm always like, this is the most important call. This is going to set you up for the future of being successful or not. It's the only difference between you not fi- not succeeding and failing is your mindset. You need to believe in yourself, right? So, and um, and for us both, you know, again, I guess you're lucky it came natural because we've done sports for so long. And uh, as, a, as a child growing up, I actually was really, really sick. I had asthma and doctors initially told me I could never be an athlete. And it was the first time, you know, that the thing got activated in my brain. It was like, I don't believe you. Like, I want to be an athlete. And, you know, I put my mind towards it and I'm doing whatever it takes to go to the Olympic Games and be a, an amazing athlete. And... There it all started, right? And everything after is history. So I learned, you know, if you train your mind, this is like in sports, if you train your mind, your body will follow. And a lot of, I mean, you can talk to any professional athlete these days, they know the importance of mindset. Nutrition can be perfect, training can be perfect, everything can be perfect. If your mindset is not straight, you're not going to be successful. On the other side, if you have a, you know, bad day, bad nutrition, you might have, you know, stomach issues, but your mindset is killer, you will succeed. Um, and mindset comes also with energy. Like the guys with the great, great mindset, you know, you can see it on the field. Like they are cocky, they know they're good because they have the mindset. And the mindset is feeding and it almost scares the other people around them, right? Now, overlapping it to business, it's a lot of people forget that business is the same thing. I mean, you're starting a journey and if you cannot believe in yourself, who else is going to believe in you? Because nobody at the beginning is going to believe in you that you will be successful. Right. right? So one of the things we always tell the students is, Write down a story, like basically pretend you're in 2024 right now. Write down a story looking backwards in the present tense of like, what have you accomplished the last 12 months, right? You know, about, you know, spiritual goals, personal goals, business goals, physical goals. Write down everything. Just go all out of like, what, what do you think you can accomplish and put 10% more on that. Make it something that you seems to be feasible to accomplish, but also scares you in a way of like, okay, this is not easy. And, and then we usually go in and we read this every single morning. So we, we, we meditate. Or basically, right before, right when you wake up, there's like a 15-minute window between the first and the second alarm. We're just like in this sleep phase where we're not really awake. But we just have positive self-talk, positive affirmations. And it's a game changer because you're like going straight in your brain, straight in your unconscious mind of like, you know, we're going to be successful. And I think all our success has been built on it because when we had nothing, it was all we had. It's like our mindset going in positive self-talk, writing out like how, how is our story going to look like the next year. So you put it on paper what the future is looking like and you consistently remind yourself and you consistently um, find solutions of like, how can I get there? What is it going to take? And then consistently on a daily basis, feeding emotions into this visual component of like, you know, next year I have, you know, 10 rentals. So I'm breaking out. I'm, I'm quitting my job. How does that feel? And that feeling you take on every single day when you work of like, I'm successful. It's going to work out. I think that's the most powerful weapon. I mean, all the, the you know, fine tuning and like tactics and systems processes, all that is easily accomplished. But if the mindset is straight, you will be successful with anything you do. So what I need you to do after the show is go find Kyler Murray. Right? Mm-hmm. He's the quarterback for the Cardinals. It's a terrible mindset. You fix him, <laughs> you might actually have a real team. Right. <laughs> um, anything you want to add to that? Well, Steve, for you or for myself, I actually... Before I fall asleep, I'm actually thinking about my future. I'm like manifesting mm-hmm. um, what I'm going to drive, what my house is going to look like. 
what I'm going to do with my kids. I do that, and I don't know if that's normal. Do you Do you think about your future before you fall asleep? I stopped it because I can't fall asleep. I like to do it in the morning because it sets me up for success. I've, I've tried it, but then I get too caught, you know, caught up in it, and then I just can't sleep. I'm getting too excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For me, it's like it's the moment before I fall asleep that I'm able to really shut everything out and just think about what's most important to me and that's my future and how I'm going to spend my time with my kids and with Max. So for you, do you, what, do you manifest your future? And if so, is that? Um, I used to, I used to be a lot more disciplined in my morning routines, right? I used to wake up at uh, five and then I would read my affirmations and look at my vision board and this and that. Mm -hmm. I've become a little bit more complacent, right? So now I wake up at five and I just go work out. (laughs) It's either basketball or going to the gym. Um, I think that for me, this is instead of, and this could be wrong, right? It's probably wrong. So right now, it's not really looking at my affirmations and vision. It's really more of like every day we see what's possible. You mm-hmm. know, like a lot of people say comparisons a thief of joy, right? And I think that's, that's true for most people. Mm-hmm. For me, I look at comparison as an opportunity. Oh, that's possible. Oh, maybe mm-hmm. I can pursue that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can do this. So it fires me up and inspires me. So I'm always, you know, looking at that. And mm-hmm. so I don't look at it and feel bad for me. I look at it like, wow, that's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You exactly. know, what can we do to pursue that? Now, also, the challenge for me is exercising restraint. Like that is, for me, the hardest part is not, <laughs> is not dreaming. That's not the hardest part. The it's hardest doing. for me is to, okay, how can we just stay focused and ensure that we're, we're focused on the right thing and we're allocating resources appropriately. Yeah. Truth be told, that is the hardest thing for me. Mm-hmm. It's not the, it's not to go hard. It's how do I mm-hmm. slow down? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, so Bernardo, so yeah, believing in yourself is the key to success. Absolutely right. Uh, Nico wants to know, does the Bob Marley song come in with a joint? Nope. <laughs> I would say sometimes. <laughs> With a joint? Oh, I thought you meant like he joins. No, no, no. Oh, so he'll oh. join. Mm. No, with a joint. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> no, I mean I, I've, n- I've never drunk alcohol or anything. Um, well, really you have drank alcohol, but you haven't done. I've maybe in my life, I've maybe drank five mojitos. To summarize it, literally, I mean that was like, and that was during the time period where I did not train. But I'm like the the most boring kind of person. I only drink water, juice, and eat like a, <laughs> I don't go fast food. No alcohol nothing because it's like you know i understand like from an athletic perspective anything you put into your your body is yeah. like basically your fuel so like i always knew that so it was always high nutrition and uh, so no we don't we don't do anything like that, that makes total sense right i mean looking at your like your social media right like watching you train you know you, you dress a little differently when you're training i was like <laughs> damn that, that guy looks good yeah. so, uh which of the 10 events that you run is the least favorite to train for? Uh, the endurance. Endurance? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. 100,000%. The, the endurance the part is the, the 1,500 because it's the one that hurts the most. And the training really starts when it hurts. That's mm. the bad thing about it. Like, you know, high jump, all these events, you have three, four good jumps. They feel great. They feel easy. Jump high, you're done. It's like, what else are you trying to get out of this training? And it worked. Endurance is like you have to run so hard until it hurts. And then when it hurts is when the actual training starts because then, you, you know, Again, your, your, your body is telling you to stop, but you got to know you have to do harder because in the meet, your body's going to tell you to stop. And you got to like overcome that and push the boundaries to get to, you know, your finish line and you can break personal records. So the endurance component is always 
you know, every time I wake up, but it almost like sets you straight because this is how life is too, right? It's, it's, it's well, it's fascinating to me to say endurance is the hardest part or the most challenging part because I would suspect it requires a good amount of endurance to compete in 10 events. It does, right? So there's a lot of, I guess it's not, it's not really endurance itself. It's just general fitness because mm-hmm. right? like I train for four or five hours a day. So that general fitness itself gets you through the events, right? Because you're doing three, four events, you're doing Olympic lifting, you're doing some like basic endurance. So there's obviously there is an endurance component to it, but it's not like a steady endurance, like a, you know, 10 minute run or an interval run. Like those things hurt a lot more than like the, you know, going from high jump to high jump or whatever it is. So there's the general fitness, but then obviously you also need to run after nine events, you still have a, you know, 1500. So you have to train a certain tempo level feeling to, to, you know, be really fast, even the 400 meters. So that is torture. Um, and they save that event for the last. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, the I mean, last start event <laughs> is the fifteen hundred. It makes no sense to me because by that time they're dead after doing all nine events. So I'm not a runner. I can't process Plus, it. Plus, like you know, you're not body from a body perspective. You're not really shaped to be endurance runners, right? There's a lot of uh, volume that goes with me when I run. You know, it's two hundred pounds of muscles of. But it's you know machines and everything is telling me like dude you're too heavy to run a mile right now like you should just <laughs> <laughs> stick to the hundred. That's where the mindset kicks in. Right. Well, that's how my body feels. <laughs> not built to run a mile. Right. I feel the same. Uh, so, uh, how was the process for finding buyers? I'm guessing here in this instance is probably when you guys were wholesaling. Mm-hmm. So how were you guys finding buyers when you guys were wholesaling? This is from uh, Caleb. Good question. I think um, eventually when when the wholesale business kicked in. Um, more and more is we did a reverse wholesale. So we actually looked for buyers first and then mm-hmm. looked for deals afterwards. You know, when, when this position started getting a little more, more complicated, it was almost like looking for buyers. And there, there's obviously multiple ways of, of going about that. You know, if you have no access to the software and tools, um, you can you can utilize software like PropStream where you just look like who has recently bought. You know, you pull a buyers list and, and you call, call them the same way you would call an acquisition lead. Obviously, you have a different conversation. Um you're talking to local real estate agents who might have, you know, investors, depending on what kind of deals you have and, you know, joining local Facebook groups. There's a lot of buyers in Facebook groups, the same way then there's people trying to sell. And then of course, if you have, you know, funds and you want to invest in things like InvestorLift or other platforms out there that have buyer boxes, um, it's just kind of like getting the first couple and then eventually like reaching Adding people, them. but also just like dispositioning your stuff on the open market, right? If you're doing wholesaling, the thing that we did that was innovation, going directly to the MLS, having access to a lot of retail buyers, mm-hmm. you're eventually building a buyers list for upcoming deals, right? You always shop around of if you don't close a deal with the other guys of interest, so you keep in your buyers list and you stay persistent. Every week you follow up, tell them like, hey, we're looking for deals. Are you still buying? Is the buying box still the same thing? Um, but we found most of our buyers through Facebook Marketplace, surprisingly. Um, well, yeah, actually, you're right. we dispoed, gosh, m- probably more than we any other platform. Until we started like doing on the housing side innovation, but yeah, Facebook yeah. Marketplace was huge. We had a lot of people reach out on Facebook Marketplace, and really and I guess it was a little there. different though because we were wholesaling land. Mm-hmm. Until we got into homes, we were wholesaling land, and a lot of that land was easily dispoed through Facebook Marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Did you have any con- concerns to follow up from YouTube here, uh, from uh, Caleb on YouTube here? Do you have any concerns when you were expanding that you spread your efforts thin? No. No, because we we came in with the goal of like understanding the ins and outs and not moving forward to the next thing until we hit a certain success ratio, right? So we, we didn't just like go in to do it like halfway 
we went in to get really decent at it and then feeling comfortable to do the next step. And by all means, it was never a goal of like going, you know, in two years through all these things. Like we probably mm -hmm. thought you're going to stick to wholesale, you know, if the economy would have been great, like it was the last couple of years, you probably would have still wholesaled. But we got pushed and it, it might actually just be like a higher purpose, right? Maybe our purpose was going more into that direction. Again, we tried to find like, what is the right real estate thing for us. And um, it was always some kind of hardship, something that didn't go right. They woke us up and then we made adjustments. We pivoted and we, you know, adjusted. Um, you know, the reason why we went eventually from wholesaling houses to fix and flip, we had 10, uh, 10 wholesales in escrow and all the buyers backed out. And we're like, shoot, you know, now we're you know, losing earnest money. Uh, we, we don't want to lose our face. What are we going to do? But all these deals make sense for a buyer on a fl flip side. So why don't we just close them, find a way to close them and do it ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So again, it was, it was not like, hey, let's just go fix and flip. It was like we had to figure something out because like now we had all these opportunities. I did not want to lose on them, but I knew I had the chances to continue. Um, and then it was, you know, just kind of like being pushed in that direction, pivoting, being pushed to the wall, pivoting. Um, and then finding solutions to continue. So it, it almost naturally happened, but it was never by all means like, oh, in three months, you're going to you know do the next thing. It was, mm -hmm. it just happened. We just followed the flow of the market. Yeah. 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 And that works. Uh, uh, Nico wants to know, uh, how do you guys comp land? Comping land is actually fairly simple, right? Because, and it depends on like what kind of land, right? There's infill lots, there's huge acreage out there. Well, like on the infill lot perspective, I mean, the simplest way is always looking for comps that recently sold in a similar size, right? It's, it's with anything that you have there. No, you don't really have to factor in, you know, rehab components because it's just bare land. You know, might have to do some research and understanding if there's, uh, you know, city utilities nearby. If you have to drag utilities to that property, that will obviously add um, things to the property. You have to do your research on wetland or any soil issues that might impact the development. But what you're really doing is you understand you're basically looking at from a development, uh, an infill at least, from a development perspective. So if there's no comps, what you can do is you just go and get the ARV of properties nearby, right? And then like, okay, if somebody would come and buy this land and build something similar and it would appraise for this like $450,000, but usually the land ratio is over 20%. So, you know, the land value is probably 20% of that retail value. Now they obviously want to buy the discounts. You might have to buy the 15% or 10% of what the retail value is. Um, but it's fairly simple because there's not much, you know, numbers to it. And on the housing side, it's rehab and blah, blah, blah. But it's more just like you're looking at the overall picture of the value component. Um, and then just like discounting for the land if you, if you have no comps, if you're just looking at, um, at houses. And then if you go off grid, you know, these 40, 50 acre parcels in the middle of the desert, those ones are really hard to evaluate because there's usually no comps. And then it's more of like just putting it's a... It's more of a guessing putting game a, Not really a guess. You just have to really do a lot of research and see where's the value with it. Like, what can you do with it? And how is that, what you do with the property in the future, valued in the here now of the existing land. And it comes over time. Um, but these ones are definitely a lot com more complicated to, to value, yeah. Uh, so besides financial freedom, what else do you guys enjoy about real estate? Travel. Um, we're able to travel and do work from wherever we want. I think that's something that we really love to do because when we travel, we get to be presented to many different cultures. And mm. um, ultimately, I think... I think another really thing that, that really rubs me the right way with real estate is you're improving neighborhoods. I mean, as an investor, you're coming in, you're picking properties up that nobody picks up, and ultimately your goal is to improve them or bring into somebody who's improving them, right? So over time, now when we drive through certain neighborhoods, we see what we've done to it. 
we see the properties that we've developed, we see how you know communities develop, and also you know in the long run, you know you're reducing crime, you're bringing in um, and deals like a good example right now is that that multifamily that we're building. It was actually bought an existing 22 unit, but it was more like a homeless shelter, class A area. Everyone was complaining about it because a lot of crime was happening in that area because it attracted crime. So now we come in, tear it down, redevelop something. We actually help improve the neighborhood. We help. The entire um, community reducing the crime. So, like now, in five years, when we drive by, as an example, it's like you have an impact, right? Mm-hmm. And then by the time you have kids, you can show them something like, "Hey, listen, this is what we built." You know, mm-hmm. this is like we have an impact. Like it's almost ideally that stays there longer than you are, right? If you pass, some of your projects might still they stay there, and your kids might take over, right? So there's there's this legacy impact to it that is uh, that's huge, and yeah. I think that has a huge uh, motivation for us. Um, so starting with you, Katie, what is your why? I think I have many whys, but I think my first why is really for the time I'll be able to spend with my loved ones because I'm a very family-oriented person and um, I FaceTime my parents every day. My brother's 11. I, I have a couple sisters, this and that, but my main goal is really to be able to spend the time with them because time is valuable and... Um, Things happen very quickly and suddenly, and um, for me, being able to spend moments with the people I love is probably my biggest why. So, you know, when we have kids, I want to go to their uh, soccer games, their musical events. I want to be able to be there all the time and spend the time with them. So time, time is my why, but focus more on time with my family. I think it's the same thing for me. It's freedom. Um, it might be absurd, right? Because I'm only 24, but I always think about life is so short. Right? If you really put it in a perspective, you know, you might live 80, 90 years, but it's just so short. And then what just didn't make sense to me, and it doesn't make sense to me at all. It's like most people you know, work until their 60s and then they finally retire and then they're able to see the world and do what they want, but then they're too old for it. Right? It's like the, the, the flow of money is right. You have nothing and you gain it over time, but you're losing your health and everything with it. So for me, that was like, I, I don't want this. I need to break out of the system. I need to enjoy life while I'm really young. I need to do all the things I want to do while I'm young. And then when I have kids, I want to be there 100%. I want to see everything about them. I don't want to ever be gone, right? Almost like obsession because it's like you, you're creating a human being that you put in the world, right? I really want to be there. And um, just having that freedom of doing what you want and when you want, right? For me, like going and training in the morning time, track and field is certainly not a sport where you get rich, right? It's not a million dollar sport. You do it because you're passionate about it. And for me, it's like, I don't have the passion now to find sponsors and pay for me to go to meets. It's like, I do it because I love it. And every morning I'm grateful, like, hey, I can go right now and work out for four hours because it's fun and uh, I don't have any pressure, right? So the freedom component, this is massive, yeah. I think when I was a kid, there was like one or maybe two of the athletes that were sponsored by like McDonald's or something. <laughs> Back in the days, McDonald's. I don't think that's the thing anymore. <laughs> right, like, I think that's it, right? Like if you're gonna get rich in decathlons, it's yeah, no, track and field. No, unfortunately not. not. Yeah, it's really sad. But um, what are your, what are you guys' biggest struggle right now? <sighs> the biggest struggle right now is, is uncertainty, right? The the market. Um, Clearly, you don't have a crystal ball. Clearly, I've not been through past sessions, so I'm, I'm really guiding we through. We did. You were just maybe in diapers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just guiding through other people's experience of like, you know, what happened last time for yeah. you and how did you pivot and like, how can I take that experience and use it for myself? So the uncertainty is clearly 
um, the biggest stone on our shoulders right mm-hmm. now. We're making moves, but we you know, don't know if it's the right time right now. You know, maybe three months, things look totally different, right? I mean, the last couple of months have been really disrupting to a certain degree. So um, it's about just being really conservative, being really careful with what we do, like double, triple checking our numbers, making sure we, we make educated decisions, taking low risk, being conservative, and um, setting us up for success. So that's probably like the biggest struggle of like not really knowing what is going on and how to pivot. But um, again, you, you're taking it day by day, you're learning every day what happens and you kind of take it to the next one, right? Yeah, I, th- I think that's our really our biggest struggle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then how do you guys stay motivated? It might seem like a silly question, but how do you guys stay motivated? I stay motivated uh, motivated because of my why. I constantly think about my why while yep. I'm driving before bed. When I'm brushing my teeth. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're living it, right? So you're living that, that life at some point. And it's it's almost like when I get unmotivated, I just look back of like where we started and where we've been. And it always kicks right in. It's like, wow, like, wait a second. Like, what have you accomplished in such a short amount of time? You know, two years ago, we were visualizing doing that, visualizing how it feels. And now we're here. Um, so bringing you back to just being humble and appreciating what you've accomplished and being excited for, you know, what else can I do in the next two years? You know, yeah. I saw you guys this post, they are getting 1% better every single day and it yeah. puts it to the, the nail to the top, right? It's like, what can we do in the next two years? You know, what can we do in the next four years? It's like an excitement of, this is, comes from sport. It's like consistently pushing your limits and see how good can you go? Like, what's your limit? And it's the same with, with, with business. Like, what else can we do? How good can we go, right? Uh. Yeah, and also like, not only do I stay motivated because of my why, but I also stay motivated because of Max. Um, when I'm not feeling motivated, I look at Max and he's like on the computer, you know, sending, he has two, three phones. He's like this, that, this, that. And I'm like, what is he working for? And then I'm like, oh yeah, he's working for our freedom. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you do have a partner, be a business partner, it could be a, a wife, a husband, any kind of partner, um, and they're in it with you. Like when you're feeling down, look at them, and let their energy feed onto you. Yeah. And and your partner needs to be aware of that. When when you're not feeling motivated, your partner needs to come to you and sing. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> How will you know when you're successful? How do we know in the current, or will we know? Start with Katie here. Was it? Is it a will? Or How will you know will when you're successful? You will know when you're successful. That's a good question. That is a good question. You'll know when you'll... Maybe when you'll... mm, That's a really good question. I would say when you have more time to breathe, when you have more time to... um, Gosh... That's a tough question. That's really tough. I think we gotta over, we I think you'll it. always you'll never be as successful as you can be. I feel like when you do hit that point where you feel like you're successful, I feel like you're like, no, I didn't really hit that yet. Like that's not my goal. I have a bigger goal. I have bigger aspirations, you know. So for us, we are successful. I mean, we were successful the day that we started, actually. Taking that first initial step to get into something you're not comfortable with is a huge growth. Um, it's just a huge part of your growth, and that's very successful. So it depends on how you look at it because we're successful, but we're not where we want to be. So I would say you know when you're successful when you're doing what you 
are supposed to be doing and, and what you're working towards. When you love what you're doing, yeah. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, when you love what you're doing. Yeah. You know, how, do, how do you define success, right? Everyone has a different perspective of like what is success to them, but I think if, you're, if you love what you're doing and you know you're getting better, you know in the right path, you're successful. Yeah. If yeah. anything you do, you know, okay, I'm getting better today than yesterday. I'm committed. I'm moving in the right direction. I'm making moves. That is success, right? Success is the journey to the end goal, but not the end goal itself, right? The end goal is just a quick flush, and then you're there, and you're like, okay, what's next? But the, the, the journey there, the improvements you do, the people you meet, the habits you change, the person you become, that's the success. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is Katie's superpower? Katie's superpower is people. She's like the people person. Um, I don't think there's anyone who doesn't like her. Oh, that's Usually, not true. <laughs> <laughs> Usually I send her for first because then she, you know, eases in and she like builds a relationship and then I, it's a good cop, bad cop. And then I come in with the facts and the numbers and then we close it. But she's a people person, absolutely, 100%. What's your superpower? Determination. Consistency. Yeah. I mean, gosh, he has many superpowers, including doing a deca decathlete or mm -hmm. decathlon, sorry. Um, but definitely being consistent and determined because he will find a way and you will get it done. Yeah. That's that. And consistency is a superpower, you know, like uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's one of the hardest things to do as an entrepreneur is to stay focused. Yep. You know, yeah. uh, I was in uh, Rafael Cortez's office uh, a couple of weeks ago and the joke we made, right? Like we'll do, like, as an entrepreneur, we'll do anything it takes to be successful except for consistency. Like that's the one thing that we'll <laughs> totally just excuse ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, I will wake up early, I will work out, I'll yeah. eat better, whatever. And do it consistently. How many times yeah. can you do it, though? <laughs> That's the real right. question. That's times, yeah. Yeah, so it's definitely a superpower. Uh, what is the, how did you guys learn your greatest lesson? Through other people. Not being afraid of doing it. Mm -hmm. That being afraid of failing is almost worse than failing. Because we have learned the most by being pushed to the wall and just not accepting a plan B. Um, you know, we started with nothing, and we wouldn't certainly not be here if we would be in a more comfortable we always, you know, tell when we, when we drive, you know, neighborhoods, we, we create mansions and we see those kids, they're like, dude, if you would have gone up this way with all the financial support, imagine where we'd be. And then like, no, but we, we wouldn't, wouldn't be, be anywhere because like, we would not have the push and determination to do it. So I think that was um, learning from failure. Unfortunately, life is so absurd, right? Like all great success, somewhat has to happen in a downturn and from failure. It's not just like an upside, you know, journey that always continues to go better. It's, it's those down turning moment, moments that keep pushing you and that almost like keep life is like challenging you. It's like, how bad do you really want yeah. it? Right. Well, I, I, I appreciate, you know, you're asking that question, like, you know, like, where were we, where would we be if we were in front of, like we lived in this area? But I mean, for me, I think part of it is, you know, we have a chip on our shoulders, mm -hmm. right? Like grew up super, mm -hmm. super poor. Right. I mean, like when we were growing up, like my dad shared, like one of his saddest moments was, living in Arizona, right? We weren't born here, right? Came here as immigrants, but living in Arizona, I think I was like two or three, and he's driving a car with no air conditioning, right? Pretty tough in Arizona to be driving a car without AC, yeah. Yeah. right? So mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. And know, that sticks with you throughout everything you do. Well, stuck with him. I have no memory of this, right? Oh. <laughs> I, I, all I remember growing up was living in a mobile home. That's all I remember, right? living in a mobile home eventually living in apartments and then living in a, a HUD home and then whatever. Mm -hmm. Like we grew up poor, but mm -hmm. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. That was mm -hmm. your normal. That there was normal. Was, yeah. we, I, I didn't know we were poor, right? Yeah. My dad didn't know. So. Yeah, that's crazy. 
what books have you guys gifted more than any other? Oh my gosh, there's so many books. Really, we do read a lot. What I've learned to me that the code personally is um, Audible because you spend so much time, you know, driving, cooking, yeah. cleaning the house, but you could not actively read, so you just plug it in, and then I, I mean, it's just like almost like a game changer for us. Really good books. Um, I have a bad memory. I'm not going to lie. What's the book we're reading now? Your Future Self Now? Yeah, I like that book. Um, mm. Just because I manifest a lot. And um, it's, it talks really heavily about planning your future self and documenting it. And then Bring allowing the yourself to yeah. yeah, create it. That's uh, Dr. Ben Hardy? Yep. Yeah. Cool. I think right now I'm reading a 10x again. And I like it a lot because, you know, Grant Cardone is the same kind of energy. Yeah. I like that energy of him. And um, and he's so right about, like, taking massive action. It's really what it takes, consistent, massive action, cutting off all the noises and just focusing on, on that 10x. And uh, it's a good book. Um, there's certainly other books with more, like, detail on, like, certain things. But, like, just a, a motivational book, it always gets me going. Mm. You know, and especially the audio version because he's actually talking. The audio is the best. He's like, oh, yeah. Every time when I drive, you know, to training in the morning, I have like, sometimes I drive to IMG, it's like an hour 30 drive for me, 5 a.m. in the morning, I listen to him, and it's like, I'm like, okay, after I'm going to go start calling. <laughs> so I struggle with Grant, with Grant Cardone. He's just oh, a yeah. little bit too much for me, but I did add, you know, to my affirmations, right, when I was reading it regularly, right? Uh, success is my obligation, duty, and responsibility. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, that, was like one, that. that was one of my uh, lines I always had when I was reviewing my, reviewing my affirmations, right? Like, you have a responsibility to be successful. Yeah. So many people depend. Rely on, on you. you. Yeah. yeah. That's so true. Yeah. Um, so I want you guys to think about the last thoughts you, uh, you guys want to leave everyone with. You know, think about that before I make a couple of quick announcements. Guys, if you value today, please like, subscribe, share, comment. It helps us reach more people. Uh, and we do have our sales leadership event coming up Friday and Saturday. Next, we got Mr. Ren Bartlett coming down here. Talk about what it takes to build a team that wants to run and operate like the entrepreneur, right? Like the biggest complaint we often hear is like the guys don't run it as hard as I do. You can have your salespeople work just as hard as you do if you can lead them the right way. And Ren talks about how to do that. If that's interesting to you, text leaders to 33777. And next week, we've got Tim Harridge coming here. Um, and I've had a chance to have a conversation with him at IMN event. It's insane, his story, what he's been able to do. What he's been able to do, you know, I think a fraction of us, like, we can only just dream about. So <laughs> definitely check in next week with Mr. Tim Harridge. What are the thoughts you guys want to leave everyone with? Um, I just want to really focus on um, mindset. Mindset's everything. Without mindset, you won't go anywhere. Um, don't let other people tell you you can't do it because you can. If you run into a broker and they tell you you can't do it or you talk to your parents and they say you can't do it, use that. And a lot of people do use that as like a, a fuel to their fire, right? Up on the shoulder. Yeah, because um, ultimately the first thing you want to do is prove them wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but... Seriously, though, like without your true positive mindset, you you won't succeed. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I think train your mind and your body will follow us. Always my inspiration in sports. Um, one of my big role models always uh, mentioned that early on when I was growing up. It was 
train your mind and your body will follow. And I think this goes with, with everything in life, business, work, relationships, um, setting the core between your, your eyes, right? Your brain is the core, feeding it with emotions. And you're summarizing our success. It's like, don't, don't get hung up in, or don't be afraid to get started. I think a lot of people are afraid to get started. Wait for the perfect timing. There's never the perfect timing. Like for perfect yeah. timing was yesterday, mm -hmm. right? You got to get started right now. Take action um, and stay consistent. And then I think with anything you will do, success is just a formula of massive action and consistency. There's no, you know, I always tell people like in sports, there is a certain level of talent they just can't beat. Right, there's always somebody so gifted that you know they world record holders. Like, okay, you cannot beat them, right? But on the other side, in business, it's, it's consistency, network, and taking action. There's no such thing that he's more gifted, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to be the smartest to be the the richest, but certainly not, right? So that that is really what I took from um, starting businesses. Everyone can be successful, and if you have the right motivation and set yourself up the right way, you will be successful. Yeah, and that, like, for an example, if you're on a diving board, that feeling you get right before you're about to jump, where it's like your stomach is tightening <laughs> and you're, like, sweating and you don't know if you can do it, that is the perfect time when you're actually supposed to jump. Yep. <laughs> There's no better time. It's that immediate feeling you get in your stomach where you're like, oh, shit, I'm about to do it. I, I don't know if I can do it. That's when you got to jump. So yeah. jump right into it. I think that's a great way to... Uh, Encapsulate that that feeling. Yeah. Uh, how can somebody get a hold of you guys? Gosh, um, our social, social media, media is probably number one. Um, we are we just started our social media, so mm -hmm. it's up and coming. Um, but the more followers we get, the more people we can touch. Mm -hmm. um, so our social media in our bio it has our coaching program. If you'd like to see what we're about, um, we also have our number in our bio. So our yeah, social so it's, media. It's Katie. handle? Katie underscore, is it underscore, is it what it's called? Katie. <laughs> Katie underscore Max underscore Vollmer. Yeah, so we, we basically post every day, try to stay consistent, at least one content every single day. Um, and we really try to be as real as possible, like showing the, the things that we do on a daily basis, the thing that, you know, goes through our mind, um, being as real and as emotional as possible and, and giving as much value as possible um, to build our community. We really enjoy that. It keeps us accountable and you know, filming our day-to-day. -day. So that's on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. There's a lot of stuff we put out on a daily basis. And we put a lot of work into it to make it, you know, good, look good, sound good for everyone. And then, um, like she said, they can find us on social media. They can direct message us. We don't have, like, any VAs or anything answering it's us. Or with anything that you guys have, um, text, call us directly. Um, like I said, my phone number. I have not given about any other podcast, but I guess I'll do it now. It's the, the 541 Five two six three three six nine, and it's directly my my cell phone. So, call me after the after or text me if there's anything I can do. I'm happy to to help. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you guys all for watching. See you guys tomorrow on Par in the Disruption. Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.